windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game right. winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. Right. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos in the sidekick. Uh, jam-packed show. We're going to hear from head coach Randy Sanders from the press conference on Monday. Uh, then we're going to go top 25 to end the show. And in between that, a little special interview talking some hoops. Patrick Good, happy to have him back. A segment that he has dubbed Good Times with Pat. We gave him, I think, six or seven different name options last year. And he was like, you yeah, know, Good times with Pat. I kind of like that. It's obviously a play on his name, but he also hearkened back to a time in high school where something similar was thrown out, and he was like, oh, that that should stick. And I don't think it stuck here to ETSU, but at the time it was something he liked. And so we're bringing it back. Good times with Pat. We haven't talked with him since, I think, before his surgery. So what we're going to do is catch up on – it's kind of a two-part interview with Patrick, and the first part's going to be his surgery, recovery, where he's at, how he's looking for the season opener, and then also the Bucks trip to Europe. We've been trying to cover that a bit more uh, since the show started uh, this year. Haven't quite got around to it because it's been so jam-packed with football, but today we get to do both. And also, he's a soon-to-be dad. That is not something, though, that I knew when we taped the interview. Full disclosure, it happened last Wednesday. Not really time-sensitive, so he had some time. Last Wednesday, we taped it then. I think it was that night, right after the interview, that he released on social media, he's going to be a dad. And so, of course, I feel stupid and terrible that he already knew and I didn't ask him in the interview. Maybe he didn't want you to know. Well, that's probably the case. And I feel <laughs> He would rather the world know than you. Yeah, that's, that well, that's probably true, yeah. No, but he, uh, he enjoyed it. He said he'd love to come back on. We will have him back on again soon. Uh, but, yeah, about 20 or so minutes, middle of the show. All right. Well, Pat, good segment two and three. And, of course, our uh, last segment, top 25, a lot talking about there's a colossal battle in the top 25 we'll talk about a little bit later on Huge. that certainly will uh maybe uh, it's not going to determine anything but uh, maybe see if north Dakota state is still on the top of the mountain or if maybe there's a crack or two there we'll wait and see let's go let's talk uh good randy's ready to go let's hear what he had to say it was a definite miscommunication we had without getting into many details receiver asked a quarterback quarterback told him and the way he was running around quarterback thought he didn't hear him and was running what he said, you know, when it turned out he did hear him, but just the way he ran it threw the quarterback off. With the pressure they were bringing, you didn't have time to hold it and see. So he, he had to make a decision and inexcusable, to be honest with you. So that was about the final play from last Saturday's game. Not something we talked a lot about Monday, but you and me talked about it off air. I know Coach Sanders talked about it off air with you in the press conference. I wanted to get his thoughts on the last play, see exactly what happened because it looked like a cross-up. And as it turned out, you pull back the curtain from all of the football terminology and the plays and how things go on the field. And what it comes down to 
is a simple human miscommunication. I didn't hear you or I thought I heard you, but you thought you didn't hear me, and now we've got this whole situation. And unfortunately, it happened to be on the last play. Hey, and what, when something happens a miscommunication, you know, generally speaking, the quarterback looks the the worst, right? And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, that guy threw it 40 yards, this way or that. So a, a lot of times, you know, a quarterback, there's a lot of trust where somebody's going to be. Again, he didn't get into too much specifics on, on who was supposed to be where and what and what route, and which obviously he doesn't want to give that away either uh, to anybody else that might be listening in uh, to those press conferences and stuff. But, you know, simple communication problem because, in all honesty, you know, Trey may not be the best thrower of the football, but we haven't seen a miss by like 30 yards, you know, 15, 20 yards, and that, and that thing was thrown to where nobody was. And so after hearing that, you're going, oh, okay, at least – at least you know now he didn't make an excuse it wasn't like coach sanders you know went up there as an apology machine for it he said at the very end very emphatically yes emphatically he said that so it's something that they want to correct but uh, it does shed a little bit of light uh you know as soon as it happens last play there's not for me there's no sense talking about it at that moment the game's over it's that another right and i'd almost forgotten about it uh until we got the press conference talking about other stuff and then i was like oh yeah that play did look a little funky and and not quite sure about it but it's good to get sort of that insight you know some coaches may not give you that you know um uh, and i'm curious to see like what the conversation is moving forward and you know that he threw to an open area so i don't know is that a possibility you change a play and maybe like hey you know what by happy accident if that guy ran that route maybe it would be wide open i don't know but it clearly frustration because that that was last play of the game he calls a play, something was ran, it wasn't supposed to be there, regardless of miscommunication, whatever, and the frustration you could tell. Yeah, and Isaiah Wilson, I mean, freshman, right? And that's just something where you haven't been in the game a lot, you haven't maybe had a lot of reps either in that package on that play, whatever the case may have been. So freshmen in that situation, it seems like maybe being a little bit of a freshman. I usually cut out all the breaths, you know, in audio, just again to kind of shed some light on how things sound the way they do here on Sanderson the Psychic and across the Buccaneer Sports Network. I usually cut out a lot of breaths. I left that one in specifically because it was a good three or four seconds after he said the whole play, the situation, what happened, and then uh, inexcusable, to be honest with you. And provide some context on how frustrated sure, he was. Sure. And, you know, again, last play of the game, you're sitting there, you're, you're battling, and, you know, you're still talking about redshirt freshman Trey Mitchell's second career start. You know, you got, you know, I know he's played two and a half games basically but it's still his second career start he got some young young bloods out there that got a chance to shine a little bit we talked about that on monday and you know i think you saw a lot of bright spots from wilson you certainly saw will huzzy make some catches so you saw some some things that were good that was one of them that that wasn't and i think that the one point he, he made you know trey didn't have a lot of time you know they were bringing the house like they had been and basically they were like all right so he's gonna make snap decision go he makes snap decision and throw and uh, you know just was not the right decision for Trey to make so uh, everything around it ended up not being good certainly that wasn't the everything that cost the Bucks the game and that it just happened to be the last play let's go we had some guys make some plays a couple of guys make some plays that they were so open that if you're playing college football you shouldn't make that play you look at a highlight tape of a recruit and they've got 15 tackles, but they don't get blocked on any of those 15 plays. How hard is that? If you're a football player, you should make the easy ones. We had some guys make some layups, but we we got to make some jumpers too. We're not hitting all the layups. We got to get better hitting layups. That's the amazing part. We're, right now, we can't hit all our layups. 
and we're hitting a few jumpers, but we're not hitting a very high percentage of them, just to put it in basketball terms. And that's where we got to improve, and that's where we got to grow. We, we got to develop some guys, find some guys that can actually make plays that aren't just layups for them. I figure that's a good bite to have Patrick Good on the show. There's more of a basketball feel on this Wednesday episode of Sandoz and the Sidekicks. So putting things in basketball terms, Coach Sanders, that was in response to me asking Will Huzzy, Isaiah Wilson, and uh, Keith Coffey. Do you think you found some playmakers? The guys that got a little bit more playing time last Saturday than they have throughout the rest of the year. Obviously, Coffey had the 57-yarder for the touchdown. Uh, you had Wilson, 4 for 47. And then Huzzy had 2 for 38. So a couple of big averages. The one long touchdown through the air. And then a guy that was just very consistent, Isaiah Wilson, of course, until that last play where there was the miscommunication. Uh, and he didn't put it in any uncertain terms there, aside from the fact that they were basketball terms, that the easy things it sounds like the Bucks were doing a lot of, but in order to win at this level, you have to do more than that. Uh, several things interesting in that bite to me. One, I love any time you can do uh, an analogy to try to help people. You know what I mean? The layman's that we are. But it, it was curious to see if you're a recruit out there and you haven't heard that sound bite. I know what I would change my highlight tape Absolutely. to. Absolutely. <laughs> if I want Coach Sanders to take my highlight tape seriously, I'm going to – show me running through a couple of blockers going to make a tackle or going up in traffic and making a grab not not a me 10 yards 15 yards past somebody and you can do one of those to show hey i've got some speed but other than that it seems like to me he wasn't who's going to be able to to make the play in the trenches when need be so and to be fair i never thought about that to be quite I, not either i mean that, that's something i i hadn't even uh it didn't dawn on me he's like oh i made a tackle made a great play let's show my great play well to coach well <laughs> It's a great play because nobody touched you. You should out. make that. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting because I think the question was um, geared to make him say glowing things about the young guys, and it was almost I like <laughs> I know, it was almost like, well, you know, they're wide open. That's why they're on scholarship. They should catch those, right? But what we need is, you know, when they're in traffic, and maybe they didn't catch it. I don't know if that's, you know, he didn't specifically say what he was referring to, but you know, I think you know when you need to make a play, whether it's a tough play or not, need to make the tough play. And I think that's sort of what he was alluding to. So that was two or three good things I thought he gave us there on that soundbite. Well, without getting too specific, probably about fifty percent of those guys will play. Probably fifty percent of them won't. In case you're wondering, you're four guys. That means two of them will, two of them won't. Okay. <laughs> so he's still having a little bit of fun. That's good oh, to yeah. hear. I asked the question about Jason Maduafakwin, Asir Player, Braxton, Richburg, and Tyree Robinson. Those four, Robinson we know broke his hand, third metacarpal or metatarsal, whatever it's called. Asir Player has the shoulder injury. You have Jason Maduafakwa. I don't know what specifically that injury was. You may know better than me. Uh, and then Braxton Richburg obviously missed a lot of the game. And so he says two of the four or said half and then made fun of me because I'm not – I guess I'm on the show with you, and apparently all of a sudden I've got – Terrible math by association, which no, I think is ridiculous. Absolutely, it's what he went with. He sits beside me during the coach show. He knows I can't do math. So, so. I, I guess that since I'm also a broadcasting guy, it's just like, oh, this guy probably can't either. What an idiot. No? Well, he probably figures if he can't do math, do media. It's okay. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> I, you got the alliteration there, too. But, no, I, I, I enjoy the fact that he can do that because it means we got a good vibe. He gives me info. He, I, he, you know, he gives me info. He also gives me crap, and I'm okay with that. Anyway, point being, two of the four, any guesses? Because that's all we are doing is guessing. We don't have any more injury information than anybody else i was trying to get it obviously but well half will play half won't that's some information at the end of the game two of those guys were playing and two weren't so i go with that okay so player was on the field robinson was on the field true and you'd figure robinson would be a fuck when richburg were not so if you were just to do and you're right we haven't get any information again um taping this on wednesdays we always do i always try to go out on thursday to get a better indication uh, of what's going on and and 
you know, sometimes I report on that. Sometimes I don't uh, because they asked me not to report on it. We just wait till Saturday. But um, as far as my guess would be, player would go, and uh, I would assume Robinson would go. Good deduction by you, too. I mean, you broke it down to very layman's terms, a very clear, obvious, and sensible thing. Two guys were on the field at the end. Two guys weren't. And that's what you're going to go with. I like hey, that. We'll, we'll see if that continues. So. <laughs> we'll see if you're right. But, but because sometimes, you know. Uh, we'll, you figure the adrenaline's flowing. You can be right. out there. And, Next and, day you wake and, up. And eh. that's the same, right? And, and another guy might have needed a day or two of therapy, and all of a sudden he's ready to go. So you, you don't know. And because we really don't know, really other than uh, Robinson, because he just flat out told us what it was, we, we don't really know what the injuries were to the other three. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that even if Tyree Robinson plays, that worries me because the guy with six interceptions last year, broken hand. I mean, unless you're going up and make Odell Beckham type catches like you saw on Monday Night Football from him on Monday. And of course, uh, the crazy or the head one handed catch or yeah, or <laughs> any time in practice, you go to a game, whatever. Uh, unless he's doing that, then that takes away probably your best ball hawking secondary member, at least in terms of it's good to have him on the yeah, field. You'd rather but, have him on the field than not, but he's probably not going to be going up and making a lot of two-handed catches at least. Well, but the the one thing he did do is and a, a lot of highlights up there, even with his uh, cast on his hand, he several hard hits yes. uh, were delivered, and he was still getting a couple pass breakups. So it may not be snaring balls out of the air for interceptions, but he's at least going to be able to either knock a pass down or hit a guy if he needs to come up from that strong safety position. What worries me is that front seven is ravaged. I mean, it was bad enough if you don't have, or if you do have Jason Maduofak or Nasir player. You already didn't have Jared Folks. Zach Yancey has played a lot, but is also banged up. You've got Austin ba- Rowan, who's newer at the position. Yep. So I, I think Javon Hurd was out last week, too. So he's, he was a backup and didn't get a go. Uh, J.D. Griffin was a guy that we've talked a little bit about. Uh, just had a horrific non-football-related injury that, that ended his career, and he was a guy that was probably expected to start with folks if you had to look at the end of last year going. So already thin, and thin kind of up the middle too, right? That Had some nose guard, defensive end slash tackle, Madhu Fuck, where they kind of move him in and out, and then the inside linebacker's uh, position. Uh, interesting to see sort of how that goes. Uh and then secondary-wise, you know, the one thing we've seen a little bit banged up, we saw Robinson with that, we saw Artavia Smith leave the game at, uh, I guess it was App State for a little bit. He was able to come back just like Zach Yancey the next week. So defense uh, a little thin against a, a team in Austin P that certainly can put up a lot of offensive numbers. Yeah, they can run the ball 200 yards per game and passing the ball, uh, they are right around 244. So that's 444 yards per game, and we know they can score too. Final sound bite. It's going to be a challenge. You look at what VMI did to us for the most part, they did a nice job changing up their coverages, but about 80, 90% of the game, they basically said, we're not going to let Quay Holmes and we're not going to let Jacob Sailors beat us running the ball. Quarterback and receiver is going to beat us if you beat us. Certain times, we did a heck of a job of taking advantage of it. Other times, uh, we didn't. We missed some guys we got to hit at quarterback. Didn't run routes quite as well as we need to sometimes. We dropped way too many balls. We can't have balls in our hands that we don't catch. And we got to improve that. But pass protection, for the most part, was pretty good. We had one bust in in protection, one uh, kind of I thought, you thought, miscommunication that way between a couple of guys. But for the most part, our pass protection was really good. We got to be more effective throwing the ball to keep defenses honest. Austin P is really good, really talented up front. I'm really impressed with their defensive backs and what they're able to do. And it's it's easy to see why they've been good against the run because they get right up in your face in the passing game and dare you to try to throw it over their head and beat them and if you can do it you got a chance to 
outscore them. If you can't do it, then it's going to be a long night offensively. Two opponents this year, Austin P allowing 236 in the air, 43 per game on the ground. That is not very much. And we kind of speculated on why maybe it was 39 passes to 29 passes for ETSU in last week's game against VMI, and now you have your answer because it seems like they ran the ball as much as they could in good conscience, but the VMI was keen on making sure that Jacob Sailors and Quay Holmes didn't beat them, even though they almost did, had seven yards per carry. Sailors had the long touchdown. He went over 100 yards. Quay Holmes had another big night. So I'm not necessarily saying it worked, but VMI did win the game. So to an extent, it must have. You know, the big thing was on first down, VMI would put eight or nine in the box, and ETSU was 14 of 20 passing for 201 yards and a couple of touchdowns, a 57-yarder and the 20-yarder. Uh, 57 to Coffee right, 20 to Spagnoletti. So they were able to throw a couple touchdown passes on first down. They hit big plays on first down. The problem was if they had really nothing going on first down, they didn't have a lot completion-wise on second down. And third down, it was really nil. They were one for nine passing for five yards and no first down. And so that's where and that's where a lot of our coaches talking about, you know, if it hits in the hands, you got to catch it. There were four or five, I think it was five drop passes on third down. And the other three were not – not very well thrown balls there were very few times on third down that everyone was just covered up and it wasn't somebody to throw to there seemed to be guys that were open enough to be hit or they should have caught the football one or the other and they can't have that going into next week and having the defense play that many plays but I think Austin P isn't going to stack the box like that because they run a 3-3-5 they've been very good and now they do blitz out of those uh, three three five. They move the nickel back around a lot. They do some other things to sort of confuse your blocking scheme on where everyone's coming from. But right now, they've proven they've been able to stop the run without having to do anything. So I'll be curious to see what Austin P stack the box and do a little bit of what VMI did, or just blitz with a couple of the backers uh, and give different looks to see if he confuses the line. So that'll be a nice chess match. I think other teams like Furman and Wofford are just going to bring the house and and dairy tissue throw over there. Austin P seems to be containing the run just fine without having to do anything. So I, I'm a little um, – I can't say for certain what Austin P will do. Plus, it's a team we don't play a lot and haven't played since 1978. So I'm not real sure what their philosophy will be when you play teams, obviously, in the league all the time. You, you kind of know. VMI has always blitzed DTSU heavy and come in and, and stack the box and dared them to do whatever. And Wofford has done – there's a few teams that have done that. But Austin P would be kind of curious. First couple series, will they – stack the box and say okay try to beat us throwing the football or will they just say you know what we're already good enough stopping the run we'll play normal coverage and maybe cover you up all those ways they've stacked the quarterback seven times so they can generate some pressure but 31 penalties in three games over 100 yards per game in that miscellaneous quote-unquote category that can affect the game and etsu hasn't been exactly great in the penalty game either another 100 yard penalty game against vmi after 100 yards or more than 100 yards against shorter as well so maybe a lot of those and if you can force the other team into committing some of those could change the game i i think the the a few factors that is definitely one of them uh turnovers would be another third down conversions uh i think those three things if you're neat well and field position with with special teams kick the ball out of bounds three times right that's giving it from the 25 to it's 35 also three of your penalties yeah that's uh, um that's, yeah, that's three-year penalties. There were three unsportsmanlike conducts. That's certainly something you could probably try to clean up as well. But you're, you're looking at a couple of bad punts, a missed field goal, kick the ball out of bounds, just field position there. Not moving the chains on third down, that contributes to bad field position. So I think field position, special teams, 
you know, penalties, third down cover. I mean, it was a lot last week that, that didn't really go. There were some positives out of the game, but there were, there were a few things ETSU needs to clean up. And Austin P has not allowed a rushing touchdown all year. What I'm hearing from you is, since it was three personal foul penalties and three kickoff out-of-bounds penalties, those were kind of unconventional penalties. My bold prediction was four penalties or less. That would have been three regular penalties, so I got the bold prediction. That's what you're saying. I mean, See, I love just talk some I, circles I, around I, him. I think it might be. I love where your head's at. You're um, saying no, though. I'm gonna, I'm okay. gonna say no. Right. Good try I mean, by me. If Jacob was here, he'd say no too. That's so. probably true. All right, uh, let's step aside for a time. When we come back, good times with Pat. Woo. Pat, good. Mike Gallagher. They chatted for this time out from San Jose Sidekick. Come back in here. Sorry, that work. Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and the Sidekick, and it's an interview that we've been teasing for at least a couple of shows now. Patrick Good in a segment that we dubbed last year, Good Times with Pat. We had, I think, like seven or eight options, Patrick, and this is what we came up with. I think it has a great ring considering your name fits right into it, and I'm really happy to have you back, and I'm really happy to see you up and moving around, no crutches, no inhibitions about walking, doing the normal moving things now. Oh, yes, sir. No excuses now. But uh, <laughs> good times with Pat. It kind of stuck. I don't really remember the other ones, but that's the one that we uh, went with. But it's good to be back on the show. Glad to uh, start classes and stuff like that. Get excitement on the campus with the football team uh, coming off their first win and just stuff like that. And just getting into the swing of basketball things, lifting heavy and stuff like that. So, uh I'm looking forward to an exciting year this year. It is nice to have that energy back on campus, isn't it? You it can is. feel it. Just just the vibes from everybody else, the new students, older students, people graduating, people coming back, and just having a football team on campus is a, is a big deal. I mean, if you go to a home game, it's, you, it's hard to find a seat. I mean, you have people tailgating, so you just get the energy and vibes and just running into people that you haven't seen in a while and stuff like that, and they just say how excited they are for basketball season. And it just gives you an extra motivation and, and some new life and energy. I think you're the classic definition of an energy giver, a guy that's going to enhance the atmosphere around a campus and really be that outward going, you know, social guy and people kind of flock to you. Have you been out to the games? Have you been able to catch up with some people? Uh, yes, sir. We actually had a, a recruit this weekend and we, we tailgated with Coach Forbes. I think they had a little area, but we were just playing cornhole with different people and just throwing football and stuff like that. I feel like it's good to to expand expand your social and just get out of your comfort zone. I mean, obviously it'd be the easy thing to do is just stay at the tailgate with the teammates and, and just the coaches and stuff like that. But once you are walking around and you're introducing yourself to other people and just interacting, it just shows that you're human too. And, I mean, just building different relationships with different types of people. Johnson City native Patrick Good, the single-game record holder and three-pointers made set last year, January 26, 2019, against Western Carolina. 
11 of them dropped 35 that game. Now, the last time we had you on the show, uh, you weren't going to be hitting any threes anytime soon, unfortunately, because they had to have that hip surgery. You're, like we said, walking. You're up and about. You look good. It looks like you're honestly in game shape right now. I know you haven't been able to do, doesn't sound like any basketball activities hard yet, but let's rewind and take us back to the last time that you were on the show. You were about to have surgery. You had that, I think it was, was it a few days before the CIT game? few days March after. 27th, I'm pretty sure. So I think maybe it was like almost right at the exact same time. Yes, sir. You had that. I've never had surgery. I don't know if you'd have surgery before. I've never had it. I've been very lucky. Take us through what it was like, that experience of the actual surgery itself. Uh, the surgery, everything went well. Uh, the doctor, uh, he said everything. He said it was, a, it was a good tear. If you're going to tear something, it was a good tear. So basically everything was completely torn. Uh, come to find out, we had an MRI after the season to make sure everything was still intact and stuff like that. And then we found out that there was a chip piece of the bone at the end. Oh, wow. So kind of toward the end of the season, I started feeling a little bit more pain, but I knew I could push through it. And some games it would let me, some games it wouldn't. Not to come up with any excuses, but, I mean, obviously an MRI is not going to really lie about that. But everything with the surgeries went well. My doctor visits have went well, and I've officially – been cleared with few restrictions obviously not ready for contact to contact yet but um i've been out there getting shots up and just uh being back on the court stretching with my teammates going through drills and stuff like that it's just it's just humbling because i knew i knew what i felt um before the injury and then kind of when you have surgery and stuff like that it just takes you back and it just humbles you and just puts you puts you in your place and then I just know that I will will not take really basketball or anything in life for granted because it can be taken away uh, just like that I mean coming off a hip injury it's pretty severe and I mean some people don't return some people are not themselves so I mean obviously I'm not saying I'm going to be myself I'm not going to be myself but I just know that I have that I'm in the right hands and obviously with my faith and stuff like that and then the trainers and coaches and stuff like that I'm gonna get to as close as 100% if not more than that so I truly believe that like you said hip injuries are so serious that's such a major fast your body that does so many things you probably didn't even realize I would imagine I mean I think we take for granted walking around and everything but even beyond that I'm sure like rolling over in bed or just like getting out of bed I'm sure those kind of things are uh, stuff that came up and just you weren't able to do completely right away I imagine it being a very very slow recovery process you told me that you were on crutches for quite the amount of time I remember seeing you out at softball a couple times and this was probably about six weeks after and you were still on crutches what was recovery like what were the steps to get back to just being able to walk again two days after a surgery I think I'm pretty sure I had surgery on Wednesday and then we came in for rehab that Friday and it was just kind of the first step was kind of just getting your muscles firing again your quads calves everything in between and just getting the range of motion back and just kind of doing exercise to do that. The next step would be kind of just getting the strength back a little bit and just some of the exercise, doing a little bit of weight exercises with the range of motion. And then you go to the walking phase and then you go to the running phase and then you and then you kind of just build up from there. So, I mean, it, it was a, a lengthy process, but I stayed, I stayed focused. I mean, just being around my teammates and coaches and stuff like that and the community, I knew I had them behind my back, so I couldn't let them down. I mean, they were so encouraging, and they were reassuring that when I get back that I'll, I'll have a place with the team and stuff like that. And just being the leader that I hope to be this upcoming year, um, they know that I'm the leader. They know I'm the voice in the locker room and stuff like that. So that really meant a lot. And, I mean, it just kind of 
uh, took me back a little bit and just seeing, I mean, seeing them work hard and stuff like that. I could tell them what I see out there and stuff like that. So I'm not just just chilling in practice and just letting them make mistakes and stuff like that. If I see something, I'm going to come up to them and tell them it, or uh, just being a voice out there and just being vocal. It was more than just myself. I mean, they they were supportive of me, and I've been supportive of them as well. This is going to be a two-part conversation. We're also going to talk about the Bucks Europe trip. Patrick did go on that, even though he wasn't able to participate in the games. As you heard, he's just really started to get cleared for basketball activities again with some restrictions. Before we do that, what was the most difficult part? Was it kind of a mental game, not trying to do too much? Was there something physically that you did get hung up on? When you weigh everything that you've had to go through, what stands out as that almost unreachable, unattainable, but then you got over it and everything was all right? I think I hit a point where I actually had to um, calm it down for a little bit because some of the exercises I was kind of moving a little too fast. Not with the exercises, but kind of just the pace that I was going. Which I'm sure is pretty common because you just want to get back so bad. Right. You just want to get back and you just want to you want to overdo it, but you have to listen to your body and you can't overdo it or or that you'll be on the surgery uh, list again, which obviously I hope to never <laughs> do that again. <laughs> right. But um, the protocol and the stuff that the trainer had me doing it, I mean I, it was week to week day to day and I kind of just followed that and just attacked every single day that I had I wanted to be I wanted that to be the best workout that I had I mean that's the only workout that I had for for quite a while but I wanted it to be the best and I, I mean and sometimes it was challenging sometimes it was a little more laid back but the same mentality had never changed but just getting over the mental hump I mean obviously Nobody wants to be in that situation, but when you're in that situation, there's nothing that you can do about it. You're either going to be – your hip's going to be weak for forever if you don't uh, progress it and get it better, or you can slowly and surely get it better and then hopefully be better than it was before. And that's just the mentality that I had going with that. How do you feel as we're sitting right here right now today? If you had to go out in a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it may be, could you do that, or is it still just being patient, taking a step at a time, listening to the doctors? If it was a SoCon championship, I'd probably be out there regardless. I love but, that. I love that. But but honestly, with the honest answer, I would probably say just kind of taking it um, day to day, week to week. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to go out there too fast because you could easily pull a hamstring or a calf or just twist the ankle or something like that, and I don't want that to be the case. But I would say maybe in these – these next couple weeks, hopefully about two to four weeks, four to six weeks around that time frame, um, I'm looking to get back to um, practicing full force. Hopefully when we start on the 26th of September, I mean, that's the that's the ultimate goal I'm looking forward to. But um, <clears throat> just, like I said, just taking it week to week, day to day, obviously sometimes you have some setbacks and sometimes you feel better than you felt before. So you can do a little more each day. So I'm just kind of just listening to my body, listening to what the trainers say, and just really attacking everything that, that they have me doing for now, as in shooting drills, lifting, and uh, obviously my treatment that I'm still doing. So it sounds like you plan on being on the floor for the season opener. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, uh, if everything is staying the same and I don't have any setbacks and stuff like that, I'll definitely be out there for the season opener. We hope that's the case. This is a two-part conversation, as we said. We'll leave the injuries in the past because Patrick Good is doing the exact same thing. We're going to talk about ETSU's Europe trip. Patrick was on it. ETSU men's basketball was there for, I think it was right about 10 or 11 days. And Patrick will be back with us after this to do that on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. 
Sweet and salty? Naughty and nice? Hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. It's a Wednesday on Sandos and the Sidekick. We are talking to Patrick Good, part two of our two-part conversation. It's great to have Patrick back on. His recovery is still in process, but the majority of it seems to be complete from what we talked about in our first segment with Patrick. Now we're going to talk about what I think is kind of a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, to be able to go overseas and travel with your boys, right? I mean, your team, your coaches, there were a number of donors there as well as some people from the administration. I'm sure you actually came away with some relationships that you may not have thought you may come across, uh, some people you never met, and I'm sure that if they saw you now, they, they give you the, what's up, Pat, how you feeling, that whole thing. So let's talk about that Europe trip. It was hashtag bucks in Europe. It was 10, 11 days long, somewhere in that area. Got to see a number of different countries, got to play three different games. Of course, you didn't partake in the games, but being kind of a coach on the bench, I'm sure you're uh, trying to help your teammates while they're out there, giving them some tips and being uh, a positive as opposed to just sitting there and taking it all in. Europe, the first couple days. I'm going to go chronologically here. Talk about the flight out. That's a long flight, man. I, I've done about two and a half hours of a flight. I don't know if I can do a, a six or seven hour. Man, yeah, it's a long. It's a, it was a long flight, but um, I think we traveled through the night, so you got in the, your body was ready to go to sleep and rest and stuff like that, which the flight was fine. But um, all our, the team, we kind of all sat together, so we were close to one another. We weren't sent with any strangers and stuff like that, but the flight was good. We uh, flew into Amsterdam, and then we flew into Prague, and then we basically just started from the jump. I mean, there was really no time to to get prepared. You're just jumping right into it. And, I mean, the guy, uh, the tour guide over there, Dr. Uh, Johnson and stuff like that, he had a, a great plan for each and every day. And, I mean, we we just took advantage of every opportunity that we had over there because, like you said, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You don't want to waste any free time. Run down the list of places that you saw because I, I understand it was a number of different countries, and then I'll get your – favorite places that you had favorite food all that i'm a closet fat guy you know i love food so i want to hear that part too but run down the list of places and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty first we went to prague i'm pretty sure czech republic uh then we went to to munich germany and then we ended up in budapest uh hungary and then we went to austria as well but i would say probably germany might have been my favorite place just because of the the hit from the history standpoint right and just seeing things from that perspective and just know we're not really far removed from uh, the history that they have and just hopefully that, that the world never goes back to the place that they were in. And Coach Forbes, he, he's done a great job of just teaching us the history from uh, the the countries over there and just like World War One, World War Two, and stuff like that. And just being able to know uh, the territory that you're stepping into is you really have to respect it because people died, people's families have died over there in the territory that we were in and just just seeing things like that like I said, obviously it will humble you and stuff like that, you don't want to take anything for granted because it could have easily been uh, 40, 50 years down the road in it, and we could be in that situation and, and I'm glad that we're not but just being able to, to pick up new things and just being, being a sponge and just learning from uh, 
from everybody else who knew knowledge about the things that we were getting ourselves into. I mean, it was it was a great experience with that. I think it was the Dachau concentration camp. Is that what you visited? Now, yes, ironically, in a, a peek behind the curtain here, we're actually taping this Wednesday, September 11th. Speaking right. of irony, and talk about atrocities in world history, American history, and you got to see a place where some unthinkable things happened. Um, and I imagine it gives you some perspective. Me and Jay were sitting here today doing the podcast, and of course we're broadcasting this on the 18th of September. But on September 11th, we kind of sat back for the first five or six minutes of the show, and you know he served in Iraq, and, and that day changed his life completely. Of course, when right. you know the planes went into the towers in New York, and there were the terrorist attacks, and so uh, unfortunate irony because you hate the fact that any of those things happen, right? But I imagine walking through Dachau, and I know it was—is is it all completely silent? You're you're not supposed to make any noise anywhere or just in certain places? Uh, just in certain pa- certain places. I mean, obviously, the tour guide, they're kind of communicating mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but there's a respectful uh, respect throughout the whole area, really. I mean, the different parts that you hit, you kind of just, when you take pictures and stuff like that, you kind of just see it for what it is. But once she actually, like, explained everything and that most of the stuff was really propaganda and that it was really worse than what the pictures entail. So so what you see in the history books and stuff like that, they're not going to um, put for what it really was, but she really explained that it was a lot worse than what the, f- the uh, photographs and stuff like that really entail. I went to the 9-11 memorial site, and obviously you know, we were a number of years removed from it. I think this is maybe in 2013, 2014, but being there at ground zero, you kind of look around and you're just like, I can't believe that happened here. Something that formed um, really the next number of years across American history and so many lives were lost. It's just awful and horrible things that happen and you're right there and it's not like being there on the same day but it does give you a little bit of a chill down your spine just thinking my gosh uh, this is something that uh, will live in infamy uh, has gone down in history and i imagine walking out of deck how you felt the same way right i mean with, with september 11th I've, I've been to ground zero as well for the uh, memorial but it's just a humbling experience just to know how busy New York is in general and just kind of putting it in perspective of how that would be on just a chaotic day and just how people would operate and stuff like that I mean obviously a lot of lives were lost and it's probably something that that means a lot to people who were serving in that time and their families and stuff like that to to die in that type of fashion I mean it's just sad that that people had to go through that and that America had to experience that but even after it happened, hopefully when you when things like that happen, we try to uh, keep ourselves from that stuff happening again. And, I mean, like I said, hate that people had to die in that type of fashion, but we as a country have to keep ourselves from stuff like that happening again. As you talked about, yeah, hopefully something like that in America never happens again. So hopefully something like that in Germany never happens again. Around the world, you hope that we're someday at a point where none of those things would uh, even cross people's minds, let alone actually take place. Talk about the basketball. There's no easy way to transition off of that, but talk about the basketball you played over there. Uh, three games. Um, there are a couple of close halves, it looked like. Ended up being three pretty lopsided wins for ETSU, but from what you saw, you've got a different perspective now not being on the court, and I'm sure we talk about uh, about it with Austin Herrick on a weekly basis. He's a quality control coach now for ETSU, but we talked to him last year as he was quarterback about it. And they're very different perspectives, and I bet you can see maybe a lot more of the game than just what's going on from your eyes and from being one of the five players on the court. Just talk about being on the sidelines and seeing the game and also what you saw from the Bucs. Um, I've seen progression 
I mean, in all three games, I mean, the first game over there kind of you start off kind of sloppy, and then once you get the, the hang of things and everything starts clicking. Uh, for all three games, I felt like defense was the main focus, obviously, with uh, the coaching staff that we have. They preach defense, gritty, grimy, toughen together, and that's basically our defensive motto. And um, I just felt like everybody got out there and everybody got a chance to prove themselves, and I felt like we clicked. I mean, you can put any five guys out there and, and they would make things happen, they would make things work. And another thing that was really important is the assistant coaches were able to coach in all three games, and I felt like you get a different voice each game. But even with uh, them being different individuals, they preach the same things, and we kind of just executed the game plan. I mean, the teams over there, they had a, a physical stature about themselves. I mean, sometimes you have older guys, sometimes you have around the same age. But um, I feel like, like I said, defense defense wins championships, and I probably need to add that into my game a little bit more. But, uh, <laughs> Coach Forbes will like that. But um, just to know that uh, that you teams usually don't play around this time. I mean, obviously we would be practicing and stuff against each other and just banging each other until uh, – August 20th, which would be our scrimmage, but to know you get to go over there, play against different competition, a different style, it was really good, and I felt like um, for the freshmen, I mean, that was their first experience, Damari and Charlie, and they uh, proved that they belong right here with us on the team, and uh, everybody else did their thing just as expected. Did you hate sitting there on the bench? Be honest with me. Did you hate it, or did you think it was valuable, or is it both? Both. I would say both. Um, obviously, you're going to hate it from a competitive standpoint, but I try to look at everything as a positive uh, outlook and just take advantage of uh, things I can learn, just being in the huddle, just encouraging the guys and just being vocal. And uh, like you said, with the donors and everybody else was there, me and, you know, me and Romy was, was chanting on the sideline and just being just being the, the energy givers that we are and uh, just being the little vocal point and the, vo the voice around the team. Talk about the together part of gritty, grimy, tough together. That, to me, as I've thought about this trip, not only before it happened, when it was announced, but up through it, and then as you've come back and are getting ready for the season, to me, it's invaluable to get the time together on the court, but also the time in a completely different part of the world as a unit away from the court. How much do you think that the camaraderie built on a trip like that and just getting to know each other. Yeah, sure, getting to know each other a bit on the court as well, but the camaraderie, experiencing something of that magnitude with a number of individuals you're going to spend five or six months with, how do you think that can affect the season ahead? Only in a positive manner. I mean, you're being – you're with a group of people in a different country. Right. I mean, if you think about it, if, so, if people from – Germany or somewhere else come to America, they're going to feel like foreigners. Obviously, we felt like foreigners over there, too, and we knew that we had to stick together. Coach Forbes always emphasizes the buddy system, but he em the, the thing about that, he emphasizes that he emphasized that over there, but he also emphasizes it here, too. So it wasn't just like a for-show thing or anything like that. Like, when he says something, he truly means it. Uh, with And with the buddy system, he's like, don't go anywhere by yourself. Obviously, you don't want to be on an island in a foreign country, but when he means that stuff back home, if you're going to the gym, take somebody with you. Or, you know what I'm saying, if you're going to class, make sure your roommate's up and just little stuff like that. So we really we really stuck by that. And when we were at dinner, it wasn't just players sitting by themselves, donors sitting by themselves, coaches sitting by themselves. Everybody was interacting with one another. And like you said, uh, the relationships built, maybe, maybe more unexpected than not. I mean – being 18 to 22 years old, you're probably not comfortable talking to older people and just having conversation with that. But you just have to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, obviously, with the 
uh, the donors and the fans and stuff like that, they want to see us be just as successful and just to know that, um, like I always say, that you're human too and that you can always relate to other people who uh, that that supports you to the ultimate ability. I think you're 100% right. I think it can only affect the season positively to form that bond over such a big life experience with the people on the floor with you that you're trying to accomplish a common goal. To me, that is going to be a big advantage. I think it's once every four years a program can do that, I believe. Yes, sir. And the NCAA. So to have that coming into this year, especially with a veteran group back, I think is massive. You mentioned dinner. I didn't bring it up. You you (laughs) said dinner, so I'm going to go and roll with it. Tell me about the food because I want to consume it all. I don't have a chance to consume it all. I want to live vicariously through the food. The food, it it was different over there. I mean, breakfast and stuff like that is more like salami uh, cheeses, bread, and stuff like that. So we really didn't get full off that. But um, we had some good, good different dishes. Sometimes we had—I can't really remember off the top of my head—but I know we had some good steak dinners, and oh, we yeah. had some good, uh, some good pasta over there too. And it was just, just a different, uh, a culture shock. Of I mean, obviously you read the menu and you're like, where's the, the hamburgers and cheese and, <laughs> right. and French fries and stuff like that. But you, like I said, you have to step out of your comfort zone to try new things just whether you like it or not just to say you tried it and I, I mean I like to eat I've, I put on a couple pounds since surgery <laughs> so I mean that that kind of shows you that I like to eat a little well, bit. Well it's not fair you haven't been able to work out as much I mean to to give you a little bit of a break here. Right yes sir but um, it, w- it was good to experience different just a different culture and just to know like I think we went to an Indian restaurant and just to know that was ran by a family business and just how much pride they take in the food that they cook and then serving and stuff like that. I mean, obviously it was amazing, but just to see that the passion that they have and you kind of you can kind of relate it to a, from a basketball standpoint and just the the passion that we have inside the locker room, the passion that Johnson City has, the the passion that Freedom Hall has, and you kind of just take it for uh, and see it for what it is. Good to have you back stateside. Good to have you back on the show. Good to have you up and on your feet, Patrick. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. I can't wait to get back on the show. Thank you. Hopefully we do it again before the season starts. I believe practice starts September 26th. Is that right? And Patrick yes, Good is right on track to be able to participate. Always good to hear for Buck fans. When we're back, we go to the top 25 in the FCS right here on Sanderson the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. for top 25 ndsu number one are you shocked no uh not a contest this week and not a surprise that they're saying that though number 20 delaware was up two to nothing after a safety a minute and 40 seconds in two to nothing did you think the upset was on 
Yes, I had the uh, over of one uh, for Delaware in the first eight minutes. 33 of the next 36 points for the Bison. Trey Lance, 18 of 23, 195 and three scores. Kobe Johnson went over 100 on the ground. This week, mm. a biggie, the one you talked about. UC Davis, the opponent, a tussle between top five teams, Sandoz. I uh, cannot wait because, again, there's still people, including myself, UC Davis fluke year, or have they turned the corner and they are for real? And I think this is the best chance. UC Davis going right to North Dakota State. Correct. Far so if uh, UC Davis hangs tough, you're going, you know what? Got an opportunity. Maybe they've arrived. If it's a 40-point you know, drubbing, do we just chalk it up to NDSU being that better that they have been for about a decade? Or do we say... UC Davis not quite ready for the big time yet. Is NDSU the surest thing in sports right now? Yes. That's incredible, isn't it? To think, to think yeah. about that and say that when you think about the other sports, comparing everything across all landscapes. NDSU, surest thing in sports. James Madison, number two, an obliteration of Morgan State, who are having an impossible few weeks to start the year. Bowling Green, JMU, and this coming week, Army. Yikes. 63-12, to 12, the Dukes win. Ben DiNucci threw for 240 yards and four scores. He hit 11 different receivers in the win. JMU has chat this week. That's not a fun back-to-back for the Mox either. UT last week, JMU this week. Uh, there's several publications before the year, and probably rightfully so. Chattanooga had the toughest schedule of all of FCS, and I think it's going to be proven when it's all said and done that they probably did have. And this is the first time they've ever played, actually. I had to look that up. First time that Chattanooga... Uh, has ever played JMU and Chattanooga will go there next year. So I'm not sure how they signed the home and home deal. I was going to say, I was impressive. surprised that they were going there. That is impressive. So Number three, South Dakota State Drake was the Jackrabbits opponent this week and a phenomenal day on the ground for SDSU. Made this one easy. 369 rushing, nearly 10 yards per carry, 38 to 10 the final. Then UC Davis, the new number four in the poll. And why that is, we will get to in one moment. One thing that didn't hurt them moving up there went over Lehigh this weekend. The Mustangs scored the first 41 points of the contest, 38-49, 389, and four touchdowns for Aggies QB Jake Meyer. Lance versus Meyer should be good this weekend in the Fargo Dome. And rounding out the top five, your favorite non-ETSU team, the Towson Tigers. Towson. One of just two undefeateds left in the top 13 of the poll. The other is NDSU. A well-deserved rise, three spots for the Tigers after going on the road and forcing Maine quarterback Chris Ferguson into four interceptions despite the fact that he threw for 401 yards. Towson Four touchdowns in a 20-minute span in the second half to bust open a 17-16 to game. That's your top five. Yeah, and I was not able – I actually wanted to watch some of that. Didn't get to. And, uh, oh, Fergie, he threw for four bills on one end. But, of course, the interception's too much to overcome. And Towson making a huge statement, I think, winning that game on the road. Look at the Citadel. One-score losses to Towson and Elon, and then the upset of Georgia Tech. It's no surprise that later we'll talk about them in this poll. Weber State, number six, on the road in an FBS Nevada team. Once again, Weber State with a near miss. They lost to San Diego State in their opener, 6 to nothing. Another six-point loss, 19-13 to the Wolfpack Saturday. Weber State, though, if their head coach is anything like Clay Hendricks from Furman, would tell you if they could have done anything at all on offense, things would have worked out. Just 137 total yards while the Wolfpack through for 299 in that facet alone. Kennesaw State up two spots this week. Easy win over Alabama State, 42-7. to Number eight, Montana State goes on the road and gets a hard-fought win at Western Illinois. Logan Jones, who hadn't rushed for more than 100 yards in his, his entire career combined, 167 on the ground, more than doubling his career rushing yards, while Western Illinois accrued just 56 rushing yards. Montana State overcoming, going two for 16 
on third downs for the win. UNI, a bye for the Panthers. They move up two spots in the poll by virtue of a couple of drops, including the team Towson beat, that being Maine. The other big fall, courtesy of the number 10 team in the poll, Jacksonville State, the biggest riser this week, back in the top 10. The Gamecocks from number 17 to the 10th position in what really was the game of the weekend. Eastern Washington, who were the number four team in the country entering the weekend, they're the ones that allow UC Davis and Towson to rise into the four and five spots as well as half the reason you and I moved up to Eastern Washington number 11 right behind the Gamecocks at 11 they were up 28 to 7 after a quarter of play in that contest uh, the shocker is the fact that they were still up 17 uh, going into the fourth and and uh, Zedrick Cooper I mean stupid numbers 249 yards uh, passing 88 yards on the ground but the 21 unanswered in the fourth I think you have to tip your cap to um Jacksonville State and I think now you go back to that first you know couple games of the year was it an anomaly for Jacksonville State or at least the the first game you know what what is you know that was sort of a bad loss everybody had them pegged up there now all of a sudden they've got the thing rolling and a couple statement wins I think Chattanooga was definitely a formidable opponent to beat them the way they did and then Eastern Washington so I think they're starting to climb back in there on the ranks those three touchdowns in the fourth quarter all rushing including Michael Matthews second of the quarter and third total touchdown of the second half this one with less than a minute to go sent the 20,000 plus in Jacksonville home happy the Eagles fall the Gamecocks rejoice 20,000 plus they were slightly shy of that in the playoff game (laughs) it was like three Maine at number 12. We mentioned their blowout loss down five spots to number 12. Nichols at number 13. They were down 21 to 6 at the half against Prairie View yeah. A&M. How about that comeback? Best known for the longest losing streak in college football history that ended roughly 20 years ago, so I suppose we'll give them a pass. But 29 unanswered from Nichols in the third quarter. Senior quarterback Chase Forcade, 224 and two scores in the contest. And Nichols holds off the late comeback attempt by the host. They come back and then hold off a comeback, 42 to 35 the win. Though the voters... Not impressed. Down one spot this week with the Jacksonville State jump. And, and, and you got to understand it because, again, you can't get around a name. And Prairie A&M just has that stigma. Absolutely. But Jalen Morton, he, you know, I talk about Zedrick Cooper. He threw for 327 and ran for another 80. That's a pretty good day. Not bad. And almost uh, led him to the upset. Central Arkansas, number 14. Everything they've done so far this year has made noise. So did this week's game against Abilene Christian, but not in the way they would have liked. They were down 17-9. to nine. Entering the fourth quarter, Abilene Christian, kind of a middle-of-the-road Southland team, come back with three fourth-quarter touchdowns to Central Arkansas against that middle-of-the-road Southland team. And the clincher, a Carlos Blackman three-yard run with 90 seconds left in the game. So Central Arkansas, while they don't move up at all this week, they do stay in the good graces of the pollsters, don't fall at all, but a very tight win in a game that probably, compared to their other games this year, looked like an easy one. Uh, It's amazing to me that tight, games that went on in all of FCS last week and it seemed like everything went down to the wire and Central Arkansas probably still um, living off the the FBS win and and that's that people are still and, and I, I get that you know uh, it, there's only there's been very few FBS wins so there's actually been more division two teams that have beaten FCS teams and FCS teams have beaten FBS teams which is the first time that's happened in a long time so I, I could see that, but there are a lot of tight games with Central Arkansas playing at home. That was a little bit of a shocker considering they got off to the quick start. But sometimes you have to have things like that. Breaks go your way to have a special season. Central Arkansas appears to be on the way to having a special season. Still undefeated. Number 15, Illinois State, down two spots because of a not-so-flashy win on the road against Eastern Illinois. Throw the records out when those two teams played. Just 31 passing yards, but 256 on the ground, 146 of 
those and all three touchdowns coming from James Robinson and a very strong defensive performance just 197 total yards allowed running game defense good old-fashioned winning football that actually gets you dropped two spots North Carolina A&T number 16 I just want to ask because was there like a, a tornado rolling through there the teams combined for 110 yards passing not pretty and, and those aren't teams that go triple option three backs I mean that, that's 110 yards combined for two teams in a 60-minute game. I think in this day and age, that does get you penalized. Okay, I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> Number 16, North Carolina A&T. Down a spot this week because they needed a come-from-behind win against Charleston Southern on the road. 14-6 to entering the fourth. Jermaine Martin raced 84 yards, though, just 54 seconds into the final frame. And then 76 yards, nine minutes later on his way to sit down for this. 299 yards oh, and those two God. scores on the ground. Putting the team on his back. Yeah, when I when I saw that the next, well, first of all, it threw me off because Charleston Southern is not, not good. Uh, obviously very no. good, and that's to put it lightly. And I was shocked North Carolina A&T struggled and came back one. He got give a little credit there, but then when I saw the two ninety, it just jumps off the page, Absolutely. right? At a, some, and then uh, and you're going to talk about some because I'm going to get mad. This is, I've got my first gripe of the polls here coming up. Number seventeen, Furman. Go ahead. Well, number one, Furman has gone back to back FBS teams and single digits and even a host job on the onside kick, and they're going to fall, and North Carolina is going to struggle at Charleston Southern, and you're going to still leave them ahead. Got to get McLaughlin on soon. <laughs> you're going to have – will he even come on after listening to I don't know. I don't know. He's probably not listening to anything this year so far. He probably <laughs> didn't want to talk to me. Furman, that loss to Virginia Tech, down one spot, 24-17. to Of course, the often talked about on this show and around the FCS World onside kick that was overruled on the recovery because of a block before the ball went 10 yards. Villanova number 18, dominant at Bucknell. A move four spots north in the stats, FCS top 25. The tone set early by a pick six, 22 seconds into the game by Jaquan Amos, 45-10 to 10 the final. Bucknell 0-3, including a loss to Logan Marchie's Sacred Heart squad. But Villanova with that win over Bucknell up four spots. Again, that one I'm sure really makes sense going up four spots when you're beating an 0-3 team. Montana number 19, they hold Oregon to 35 points. Moral victory there, unfortunately, for the FCS. Montana scored just three. Up one spot this week to number 19. Delaware number 20, down two spots after the thrashing at the hands of the Bison. Five teams left. Any thoughts on those teams? No, other than the fact that Oregon threw like 77 on Nevada the other day. So the fact that Montana's able to hang. No, I'll take that. I mean, Montana and Oregon are basically bordering states. If they're, are they actually bordering states? No, Idaho is between them, right? Idaho is between them. Do I know that? Idaho's I don't think I know between. that. I'm glad you know that. Southeastern Louisiana, number 21. Impressive effort on the road against Ole Miss. Down just five entering the fourth quarter, but couldn't generate any fourth quarter offense. A couple of time-consuming drives that wasted away much of the time, along with the running Rebels. Third interception of the game sealed the fate of the FCS side. They get a bump, though, does Southeastern Louisiana to number 21, up two spots, and I think deserving considering the fact that they lost by, what was it, 12? Did you give them the run and rebel? I'm so confused. Did you give them the run and rebels there? Ole Miss run and rebels, yeah. Is that yeah, right? Like That's it. right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Isn't that their thing? Am I wrong? I don't know. You don't know what Old Miss's mascot is? No, it's the Rebel. I just didn't know they were the Running Rebels. I thought they've been the Running Rebels. I thought they? that was UNLV's the Running Rebels. Uh, oh, you're probably right. Uh, Old Miss Rebels? Are you sure? Yeah, it's just Old Miss Rebels. I'll I'm going with Running Rebels. Okay, all right. I, I, just, <laughs> I, I can't comment because I'm confused on what we're talking number about. Number 22, Elon Richmond, who were receiving votes earlier this year, spanked at home by the number 22, Phoenix. Three straight, two touchdown quarters to run away with it. 18 of 32, 34 and five touchdowns for Davis Cheek in the win. Number 23, Simo, Southeast Missouri State, shelled by Missouri on 
the road, no points to be had, 50 to nothing, so they dropped four spots. Only 94 total yards for that Southeast Missouri State offense. Youngstown State, number 24, one of the two new teams in the top 25, the fifth undefeated team in the poll from top to bottom. NDSU, Towson, Central Arkansas, Villanova, and the Penguins, a solid 34-14 win over Duquesne. You got nothing on that game. Okay. Uh, no, I, uh, I heard you. Sorry, you moving around. Heard you no, scurrying. No, no, Bo, Bo Pelini. Yeah, that's all I got. Okay. Uh, Good job. They, they overcame giving away. I was away. excited for the city. I was hoping you were getting there real quick. They overcame giving away nine first downs by penalty. A bit sloppy in that aspect. Still a 20-point win. And then Citadel. Brian McLaughlin, your guy. Joined by others this week in voting them number 25 in the poll. Wofford, by the way, drops out after losing to Sanford, of course, on the road. And needless to say, the box. No more vo- votes being received. And for ETSU needs recover. Austin Peace starting to go, but uh, Citadel good for the good for the Citadel. They had two tough losses. Beat Georgia Tech. We've talked about that, and you know we didn't talk about uh, a team that dropped out of top twenty-five in Wofford. They tried to go back to their original sort of offense, right, where they want to run the ball. They were two of six passing for negative one yards. Wow, which is almost impressively hard to do right that is incredible so uh, Sanford is trying to I, I still can't figure out Sanford I know they've made the change um, at quarterback and they got the transfer from South Florida in there at this point in time but uh, curious to see where it goes from there and then just around the league real quick Western Carolina for the second straight game if we didn't bring it up Will Jones played for Tyree Adams who has been suspended uh, for two uh, at least the last two games at least. suspended indefinitely but my question is he's suspended for the game up, game down, the the FBS and the Division Two game, is he going to be back when they get back into regular action, or has he done something that's going to keep him out of action a, a lot longer? Uh, but Wofford was twenty one last week and negative one yard uh, passing. And a matter of fact, uh, Dan Van Cleve caught both passes. He had a twelve yard reception and then a negative thirteen yard reception, which is hard to do. Still, uh, Joe Newman, uh, one hundred and five yards rushing. Uh, for the Terriers, who's the quarterback, who, again, at least ran the ball, and they tried to get back to their identity. Uh, Sanford, though, they desperately needed a win. Wofford will now be in that category of desperately needs a win this week coming up. Big matchups this week. JMU at Chattanooga, number 18. Villanova at number 5,000. Somebody's O has got to go. UC Davis at NDSU. And I'd like to see if Elon can get any type of foothold in their road matchup against what is an undefeated Wake Forest team. And by the way, Ole Miss are just the Rebels. I get confused by all the, the changes from the mascots. I'm going to say all Rebels are running because Rebels are always on the run, right? Isn't that a song? Something about Rebels being on the run? Yes. So I think that Ole Miss is also the Rebel, running Rebels. That's what I'm going with. You buying it? No. Okay. I was I'm just, again, I didn't know what game we were talking about there for half a second. You gave me, I thought we were talking Ole Miss. Football? You gave me a run of Rebels. I'm, I'm, scram- I'm clicking on stuff. Does UNLV have football? Yeah, they have football. Do they really? Yeah. The last time they want to go. Did they win last They're- year? Did they win last Are they good? Have they ever been good? They have never. In football? Yeah. No. I mean, I know they won national titles in that. No, they've had a couple Larry guys. Johnson, you know Is that Larry Johnson? It is. Yeah. yeah. Stacey Ogman, plastic. Stacey Ogman, nice. Yeah, plastic, yeah. Didn't he end up wearing a plastic mask? <laughs> if he broke his nose, I think he, he did. Yeah. yeah. But he did, he did that because he was like Stretch Armstrong. You could throw any alley oop anywhere. He could just reach behind his head. And just I don't remember Stacey like Ogman as a three point two. That doesn't. Yeah, you know, when you get older, you don't jump as much. Like Dwayne. Ah, good point. Some of that. All right, good show. What do we got Friday? We got uh, we're going to talk. Uh, Austin Harris going to be here. Brian Breeze, the play-by-play guy for Austin P. We'll talk to him. Bold predictions, bold predictions, all that. Sandwich sidekick. Another edition. Friday. Buccaneer Sports Network. See ya.